listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, and I'm so excited to have you with me again today for another amazing episode of She Rises. I am here with the phenomenal GV Saran, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. GV Saran is a corporate mentalist, and I just absolutely love that whole uh, branding and and wording, and we're going to find out exactly what does that mean? What is that? So she describes herself as a true corporate mentalist. Judy Saran uses insightful business strategy, her highly developed observational skills, and mental perception of thought processes for discerning the truth about an organizational team to gain powerful creativity, focus, and productivity. She has an extraordinary mind for improving conditions across an organization and has developed some of the most sophisticated and powerful models of leadership, organizational strategy, and mindset improvement throughout her corporate soul program. GV Saran and her unique set of skills and offerings is changing the game for organizations around the world and is revolutionizing the way organizations create business strategy. And I can just only echo those statements from my uh, conversations with GV before this podcast and from my personal experience of having uh, a session with her. I'm so excited to expand on this and have her on the show. GV, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. I am so honored to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, you know, I know I'm reading this bio and and I love your whole brand and I know there's people out there going, what the heck is a corporate mentalist? So, Tell us, and and actually before you even go there, because I think what's going to really paint the picture is if you start sort of, maybe not at the very beginning, but start at the beginning because you've had quite the career in corporate with organizational strategy and leadership and maybe paint the picture starting from there and how it is that you got to be a corporate mentalist. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. So my background is in, was in healthcare. I'd spent uh, almost three decades in strategic leadership roles, and particularly in organizational development type of work. So leadership, conflict resolution, team dynamics, all of that uh, OD type of work, and in leadership roles myself. So. I had the luxury um, in my last 10 years of experimenting with a particular team in which um, we could provide any type of resources to ensure that this team was high performance. And one of the things, Giovanna, that was happening simultaneously was that I was on this spiritual journey myself, and that journey was all around who am I? So you know, we often ask ourselves this question at different points of our life. And I had been asking that question of myself for the last 17 years, uh, more from a personal perspective. And of that 17 years, the last five years, 
as I came into understanding, okay, well, who am I in the world? And then I got really intrigued by who am I in the workplace? And what I was finding was that we had this very strange concept that existed in the workplace that was leave your problems at home. And I found that people were not leaving their problems at home because innately we bring our problems with us. We just mask them in this pseudo costume that we wear. So in this beautiful forum over the last um, less than a decade in my last project, I started to experiment what does it mean if we accepted the whole person into the workplace, the good, the bad, and the ugly days. What does that mean for leadership? And so that really started um, a six-year project in which we started mindfulness programs, we started Golden Nuggets series, we started this whole softer skills nurturing of individual people amidst a team. And what we started to discover was that as we nurtured the individual, the individual started to nurture the business strategy in a way that just um, exceeded our expectations uh, in the ways of, you know, 100% retention rates. Our goals were met 30 to 40% above the goals that we had set every year consistently for six years. Um, we had lineups of high caliber people that wanted to work for us in our organization. And uh, a funny story, I was interviewing someone uh, regarding a, a, a leadership role and she said to me, she said, I don't care, GB, if I have to be a janitor in this organization, but I really want to work here. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot. It says a lot. And she was, of course, you know, in a, a leadership role that she had applied for. And I remember that moment of just stepping back and saying, man, we're doing something right here. We're actually implementing nurturing of the energetic person and allowing people to be have uh, authenticity and creativity in a way that we would have never experienced before. So that started my journey into, uh, two years ago, I left my role in healthcare and decided to go into the business that you're seeing now, which is uh, the corporate mentalist. Um, and the corporate mentalist, the role of the corporate mentalist is to go into an organization, ask people questions to the depth of who they are as a person, wait for them to respond physically as well as non-physically, and then get to the depth of where they are at as an individual very quickly, based on what I'm seeing and hearing and observing. Now, where that gets an organization is that they have a deeper understanding of what is going on in their organization from a root perspective, so that the changes they make are more sustainable long-term. I have so much to say. <laughs> That's so amazing. So, I mean, it's funny because there's part of me that's sitting here going like, wow, this is so 
amazing. It almost feels revolutionary. And then there's another part of me saying, duh, we're human beings. You know, we, we are, you know, we're part of an organization globally. And then of course, if we, if we look at the microcosms of organization and organizations all the way down to our human body, we're only as, as great or as well-functioning as our weakest link. So, I mean, even if you look at the human body, right, if you've got a stubbed toe, it's going to affect the way you walk. It's going to affect your day. It's going to affect a lot. And we think, well, it's just a toe. And that's kind of the way in corporate and in the, and I'm going to, you know, take it further than corporate, but in the nine to five world where we kind of look at employees and we look at our teams, it's like, well, it's, they are also a cog in the wheel. And I love that you said this idea of like, leave your problems at home, like leave them at the door before you enter the office. It's so unrealistic because we are human beings and we can't do that. You know, it's, it's very difficult to compartmentalize. And then you're in a situation where you're stuffing and suppressing at work. And you've seen very hands-on that that definitely affects performance. Uh, it affects team culture and morale. And I love everything that you just shared because it's, it's huge, huge impact. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, uh, Giovanna, when you say that, you know, there's an innate feeling in us in which we say, yeah, that totally makes sense, of course. And then there's this, we, we think that the business strategy is separate than that. We think it's something that's other than that. And uh, one of my programs, when I first came out with my Corporate Soul program, it was fascinating. That's exactly what I experienced, where people would be like, uh, soul? <laughs> Why are we talking about a soul in the world of business strategy? And as soon as I started to describe it to say the soul is simply an immortal legacy. Now, just because Walt Disney passed away, Disneyland didn't go anywhere. Just because Steve Jobs passed away, Apple didn't go anywhere. So there is an immortal legacy of that leader, like your leadership, as well as your business. So how is that any different than a soul? And that legacy is based upon the people that work for you and the stories that they tell about you. So those stories are what build that legacy. So inevitably, both of those, uh, the world of corporate and the world of spirituality, energy, and I just want to define the word spiritual, because as you know, people define it differently. Um, so to just have a grounding definition, I'm talking about the process of self-inquiry. I'm talking about the process of self-realization, self-actualization. So it's all about the inner journey. So when you look at the stories people tell, which build the legacy of your leadership, which builds the legacy of your organization, in, inevitably it's going to be the immortal part of your business strategy. I love that reframe and perspective on it because I would imagine, you know, and you said it quite perfectly when you got the question of like soul, what does soul have to do with business strategy? Um, because I would imagine in, in the beginning and, and maybe even now you get some uh, people sort of turn up their nose or, or wonder like, what, like, how is this even going to help me? So I love the way you framed a soul being an, an immortal legacy. And, and a, you could have a corporate soul, you have your own personal soul, if that's your belief. And um, it's, it's really what's left behind after your leadership and after your impact. And that's beautiful. I love that. 
So that kind of leads me to, because you kind of already started with that little bit of a, um, a touch on that question mark you had from some of the people in corporate. It led me to, you know, what have been your challenges bringing this approach with you? Because you and I have had conversations that perhaps if someone in corporate was a fly on the wall, they might be, uh, you know, labeled a little bit. They might be judged a bit. But here you are coming from this leadership background. And I'm, I'm wondering, how is it received? I would say that the greatest challenge in this work has been around people's perception that what I'm offering as a part of the Corporate Soul program or the Permission to View program is a luxury item. They still perceive it as being on their ledger, as a part of their budget, as something that they'll do if there's money left over. So it's one of those things that the, the connecting point of helping people understand that this is not a luxury. You are seeing high stress leads. You are seeing high conflict situations. You're seeing low morale in the organization. You're seeing people be on edge um, with other people, like their colleagues. You're seeing people not handle their day with grace and ease and a neutral mind. All of these things are symptoms of people's personal problems, agendas, and, and issues that reside within them that are they are bringing to work that show up as symptoms. And so if we don't get to the symptom, the root cause, you'll continue to hire consultant after consultant trying to fix a problem, but without getting to the root of what's going on. So I would say that my greatest obstacle and greatest challenge has been that, has been really um, educating leaders on this is not a luxury. It is not luxury to have a mindfulness program or a program in which you have a open space type of facilitation where you hear what stories people are telling about you. Like I often will say to leaders when I'll have a conversation with them, I'll say, do you know what your team members say about you at their dining table when they're talking to their grandma, to their family? Like, what is that story that people tell at their dining table um, when they're talking to their families about where they work? Do they share stories about how awesome it is and how, you know, that their voice is heard and they feel included and they want, you know, they love coming up with quality improvement ideas? Or are they talking about in an organization where they feel annoyed and frustrated and overwhelmed and overworked? Because those are the stories that are going to be your legacy. So I would say one of my greatest challenges has been that is, is shifting the mindset of CEOs and leaders to understand that this is no longer a luxury. This is actually a necessity within the organization. Beautifully said. You know, I find that again, taking that down to like a microcosm, I find that mentality sort of rampant in society in general with any kind of personal development uh, or even spiritual development work. You know, it's seen as a luxury or it's seen as, well, not until I need it. You know, it's sort of this idea of, you know, waiting until we get sick in order to find a cure or or some sort of remedy for that, as opposed to working from the place of prevention and from the place of, you know, being expansive and staying in the question. So I love that you're seeing that really at the, uh, you know, some of the highest levels in corporate where 
they're, we're still kind of almost stuck in a survival mode. It's like, no, just work, work, make the money, get the thing, make the profit, you know, pay the people. Like it's very mechanical and there's such a need for soul. Like there's such a need for soul. Yeah, and I think people associate the word soul to something religious and something um, that they don't understand, so they don't want to talk about it. Um, And then, you know, as a part of when I, uh, you know, I was doing a keynote last year, and I asked an auditorium full of people, I said to them, I said, do you believe that all matter is energy? Albert Einstein's famous quote, right? That all matter is energy. And yes, yes, we all believe that. Okay, well, if all matter is energy, then what are human beings? Okay, well, okay, they're energy. Okay, so we nurture people as the physical being in all of our employee benefit programs. But at what point do we nurture the the energy being of that person? Because it's the energy being that's going to thrust the business vision forward. That's the person that's going to be, yay, I have to go to work. It's nine o'clock and I love it. That's the person that's going to show up at nine, uh, you know, five oh five in their home and open that door and feel graceful and neutral and of easy mind because they've spent a beautiful day in their workplace. And I think the more we start to talk about this and put it on the table, saying, if you believe all matter is energy, we as human beings are energy. So in organizations, what are we doing to nurture that energy? Totally. And, you know, I, I see this too as like such a bigger issue as well. Like it's a, it's really an issue of our humanity and, and how are we nurturing each other and, and being in our humanity and, and, and making, you know, not, not allowances that are detrimental, but allowances that are nurturing for your employees. Like not everybody, you know, it's one of the pet peeves I, I have lately is, 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 online there's every angle of become an entrepreneur and go live your dream and go do this and there's this idea uh and for some people this is very true it's very true for me in terms of escaping the nine to five but the reality is like the world functions because there are businesses and corporations and you know we can't not everybody can can just take off and do that and so there's no reason that we shouldn't be happy and fulfilled in those roles and in that life And it's almost like we've accepted that, like, oh, that's the grind, you know, and then this is the other thing. When I'm hearing it doesn't have to be. Beautifully said. And yes, um, it's about acceptance of where each person is at in that moment in time. I think we often forget because... We're constantly being bombarded with information about, you know, let me, I can increase your profit margins. I can do this and I can do this. And it's and, and it's indicative of a commercialized world that we live in, in which, you know, we don't feel like where I am right now is perfectly okay in this moment in time. And I think once we learn to accept, even in an organization, like when I'm teaching corporate mindfulness in the organization, I'm teaching them that exactly what's going on in that moment in time in your business is exactly meant to happen in that moment in time in your business. So even if something goes, uh, you know, not expected the way you want it to, or maybe it goes differently, maybe it goes down a, a tangent, but there is a beauty in that tangent. There's a beauty in going down 
down a different pathway. And yet, we're because we're so... I call it a fashion statement, Giovanna. Like we, it's almost like we use "I'm busy" as a fashion statement, and it, <laughs> it's like I'm going to put on my busy suit today um, because that makes me credible and that makes me reputable. And yet, you know, there is a beauty, a creativity that rests in just being in this moment without having any predictions into the future or without carrying around my past. So I love the way you you verse that word humanity because that's what it comes down to. As human beings, we are each here fully equipped with our own gift to take part in Project Earth. Like this isn't about you or me. This is about something that's greater than us. And yet each of us are here fully equipped to do our part, whether we choose to work, you know, in a fast food place serving food, whether we are the minister of something, whether, you know, whatever role we're playing, but we're each here contributing to that project earth. Yeah, and and really it's it's like how can how can leaders, this is why the the subject of conscious leadership is so fascinating to me, is how can leaders start to nurture this and foster this with their employees, right? So that if you are, you know, right from the person, like I love that uh, person that came to be interviewed by you and said, I'll be the janitor, like right from the janitor all the way up to the C-suite, you know, staff, how is it that we're nurturing the humanity in people and, and having really the best come out of them? Like, where my mind goes immediately is on, on the mind-body connection and what the actual physical cost is of living in a job or being in a job because I've done it I'm sure you've done it a lot of people listening have been in a job or are in a job right now that is literally killing them or making them sick because of a lack of of this paid attention to this topic Mm. Yeah, and I can give you a really, I'll give you an example of myself. So physically, Giovanna, I respond to stress um, and uncomfort through nausea. So I will get very, I'll get digestive issues. So I'll get really nauseated. And uh, a beautiful thing that uh, my executive director used to do, uh, and I was very authentic with where I was at, and um, everybody do, you know, it had become this joke where I used to work that GB has this nausea factor, and that's her check-in when she's not comfortable. (laughs) And so in a team meeting, I would go quiet, which is generally my first initial response to feeling stress. I'll go, I'll go quiet. And my executive director would say, GV, what on a scale of one to 10, where are you in your nausea factor? And I would say, well, I'm feeling kind of an eight right now. And he would say, okay, what is it that you need from us? And I would say, well, can you give me 15 minutes? I just want to go for a walk, get some air, and then I'll be back. And then I would come back and join that very meeting with clarity around, you know, maybe it was in a team members that we were that were impacting because of a change we were doing. Maybe I was worried about the single mom somewhere in a particular geo zone that wouldn't be impacted in a different way. And yet I didn't know how to put words around it. So when you're working with a leader that is really in tune with all of these small, either your physical responses or GV going quiet, GV's nausea factor, whatever it is, it then all of a sudden becomes this beautiful thing that leaders can utilize as a part of their leadership strategy. 
Oh my gosh, I love that story in so many, so many ways. Like kudos to your executive director. To me, that is the very definition of conscious leadership. And if you were in an environment where it, the philosophy was, you know, leave your problems at the door, no one would care if you're feeling nauseous or you're nervous about something coming up. Like there wouldn't even be a dialogue open to something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another uh, example uh, can, I can give as well that I would call my executive director and I would say something like, I had a really tough situation. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. And I would go off into my little, you know, feeling, you know, of this is what happened today. And, you know, I wish it could have gone differently. Da, da, da. I would go off into whatever time frame. And then at the end, he would, you know, quietly respond and say, Jeannie, is there anything that you need me to do about this in this moment in time? And I would say to him, no, nope, I'm done. I feel better. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. Often we don't need something, but we need to know that our CEO or our leader, our executive director, whoever it is that we report to has our back in that way. This is beautiful. And, and the, the thing that comes to mind right away, because I've, I've had conversations with people at that level, and it's, it's this idea of I don't, I don't know, like I don't have the, the skills and partly that's why they, you know, we're having the conversation, but they're sort of like, I don't know. I don't know how to handle a situation where an employee walks in or is having this difficult time. Cause realistically, I mean, once you reach that level of leadership, whether, you know, and let's say from management up to C-suite, like you're not really trained. That's not where the predominant focus of your career has been on, you know, coaching skills and emotional intelligence skills. So I would imagine this is where you come in and and people like you and myself. And so what would you say to that leader? Maybe they're listening to this podcast right now going, that's a great story, GV. And I would have no freaking clue if my, you know, manager or staff member came in with that. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of things. For one, um, it's important to recognize that heart-centered conversations are not off the table in leadership. And so when you have a conversation from your heart, you cannot say something wrong. And, you know, again, I'll give an example of myself where people would say to me, Judy, how do you get away with half of the things you say to people? And I would say to them, it's because I have no other intention other than simply asking. And it comes from my heart. So, you know, there was this one particular situation where I'd gone in to see somebody and this gentleman was really mad. And I hadn't even entered his office yet. And he's he just spewed a whole bunch of anger for about 15 minutes. And I didn't enter his office. I stood outside the door. And after a while, I think he got tired of talking. And he moved his glasses down and he looked up as though she's still there. And I looked at him and I said, I have to say, it must be really miserable to be you. Oh. And he looked at me and says, what do you mean? I said, for all of the anger that you've spoken about in the last 10 to 15 minutes, you know, it's been a year of you saying the same things. And if you do what you do, you get what you get. How about I enter your office and we change what you do so that you get something different? Wow, that's powerful. 
Yeah, and yet it comes from a kindness. It comes from a heart center. So what I would say to that leader that's listening to this conversation is be a tad vulnerable with that heart-centered conversation. I have proven over six years that I can be vulnerable with a team of 160 people, a virtual team across the province. They knew everything about me that was going on in my life. And yet I had admiration, I had respect, and I had loyalty and dedication as a lead. And so what I would like to say is there's a really simple question that I ask myself in that moment. So if I'm where a team member comes up to me and I'm in that place of I don't know what to ask, I would say to myself, GV, if you had five minutes to live right now, what would you say? Now, when you ask yourself that question, you shift into your heart center. Because if you had five minutes to live, what would you say? It may be different than what your ego is going to tell you to say, which is normally how we respond because we don't know what to say with it, so we shy away from it. So I would leave every leader with that tool that if you're ever in that place where you're like, oh, you know, this conversation is getting uncomfortable and I really don't know what to say, just take a step back, pause, and ask yourself, if I only had five minutes to live right now, what would I say to this person? That's beautiful. I love that. Love it. You know, I, I absolutely adore this topic. A few weeks back, I had Emily Bennington on the show. She's the author of Miracles at Work, and she sort of takes this a very similar approach of, with her. It was using the tools and principles of A Course in Miracles, um, but a very similar approach to, you know, mindfulness. And I, my question for you is, we've been speaking a lot, I guess, to the leader and the person in a leadership role. And what has been your experience, or let's say what advice could you give to someone who's listening who has not had a great experience of leadership? And I think, you know, I'm asking that question because, of course, we've, we've all had these stories and many, many times in our lives of just horrendous leadership. And, I mean, I've experienced um, work environments where it was tyrannical and toxic and all manner of emotional and spiritual and even psychological manipulation, just horrible, horrible environments where they were leading through, you know, through fear instead of, and I had to make some really difficult choices I, for myself in those situations. And those, that's the, I feel like that's one of the extremes. But for the person that's listening, who is not in the leadership role, but they're in a leadership role within themselves, because we all have self-leadership, Right. What would you say to them? I would say that our, our work life, no different than our personal life, comes down to one very simple word, and that is the word choice. So very similarly to you, I was in a very toxic um, environment, uh, you know, many years back, and I felt that my soul was getting fragmented, and I remember... Uh, leaving there and uh, when I left there after eight years of working there I remember laying on my couch watching Jerry Springer like I call them my Jerry Springer days where I just had to <laughs> I just had to completely disconnect from the world because you sometimes don't even realize how toxic of an environment you're in 
until physical symptoms such as diabetes, hypertension, um, you know, blood pressure, all of these things start to, to come to the forefront. And then we're left asking ourselves a question, oh, you know, how did this happen? Where did it come from? Not recognizing that we've been in this very toxic place. And so I would recommend to that person that you have a choice. You choose to stay in that type of an environment or not. And quite often, we're so scared of the unknown. We're afraid of, from a simplistic view, I was afraid of looking for another job. I thought, I really know this job really well. And, uh, you know, I, I can do another year. I'm, I'm off into my own little office. And it's not that bad. Like, we provide ourselves so much justification to stay somewhere where we're comfortable without recognizing the impact that it's having on our, our soul, our spirit our physical body and so I would say to that person that you have a choice so you can choose to be there and try and exemplify the change that you want to see in your leader uh, by acting and behaving that way yourself or get off the pot you don't need to be there. The world has 7.4 billion people, each and every one of us with our own genetic makeup, our own education, experience, life experiences, triggers, baggage, that make us that one magnificent, brilliant being. So by staying in that type of an environment where you are not happy and are borderline miserable, you are doing yourself and the world a disservice. Well said, and amen to that, sister. And you know, I've heard all the yeah buts that come along with that because I was I lived in a yeah but for a long time, and the yeah but is always about fear. It's financial fear. Well, where will I find another job, and how will I survive? And 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 I would encourage anyone that's listening. I mean, acknowledge the fear. It's it's there. It's real. It's don't acknowledge. Don't not acknowledge it, and and not make a plan for yourself, and be smart about it. But don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck spinning in that fear because I, I for one, wasted five years in a in you know in a corporate office job, let's say, and I remember the day came when I was laid off, um, and I remember you know there was part of me that was like, oh crap, what am I going to do now? I worked for uh, government in, in a really sort of high, sort of uh, top secret clearance level. And I, you know, my, my job skills were not really transferable because I couldn't really talk about what I did. And it was all this complicated thing. And I went into all this bubble. But the second the hammer dropped and I got laid off, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like there was, you know, there was a part of me that was just so grateful and because I waited so long, you know, I, I, I wasn't a bit of a scramble. So I would encourage anyone that's listening, be smart, make a plan, get some coaching around it. Um, if you need to, and, and like you said, go get out, you know, you've only got the one life to live depending on your beliefs, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, beautiful. So I, I wanted to dive a little bit into this topic from, you know, more of a personal perspective, if you're okay with that. Yeah, you bet. Because my curiosity, especially when we were first introduced and I it was introduced to the corporate mentalist and I thought, oh my gosh, like how, how does this happen? And I know that you, you touched a little bit on that when you sort of started at the quasi beginning and said, you know, you had always had a bit of a spiritual practice, but I wonder if you could share a little bit 
you know, the real sort of roots of what started this journey for you. And, and I ask because I think there'd, there'd be a lot of people listening that maybe they've dipped their toe into the whole spiritual thing. And they're, they're, like you said, turned off because they associate it with religion or it's fearful because, you know, what the, what the experience that they've seen in the world may, might be woo woo to them. So would you share a little bit with us about your, you know, personal beginnings in, in this realm and, and sort of how that molded you? Yeah, you bet. Um, so where it, where it all began, actually, I could think back to even grade four when I was learning cursive writing, and I would continually write, who am I? Like, even in cursive writing, and um, maybe after this call, give it a try, but when you write, who am I in cursive writing, it's this beautiful flow um, within, the, within the letters themselves. And so I can, I can think back to journals in grade four that continued to ask that question, and of course, unbeknownst to me as to why I was asking it. And then, you know, having gone through an arranged marriage at the age of 16, um, and then getting divorced after 20 years of that marriage, going through a place of disownment, I, I felt, Giovanna, what was happening in my life was that I had lived my entire life as somebody else's identity. And, you know, it was I was living for everybody else but me. And a couple of years ago, uh, so I, I started this journey, and my journey was search, 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 because somebody's going to tell you the answer, GV. If you go to that ashram in Belize, they'll tell you the answer. If you go to that spiritual conference in Goa, they'll tell you the answer. <laughs> you know, you I've go- never done that, GV. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. <laughs> You know, if you if you go visit that hermit in Chennai, GV, he'll tell you the answer, and. I was getting tired of nobody having the answer. It was like, okay, well, this sucks. You know, I spent a lot of time searching for this answer. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago where the answer actually was that I have to freaking do the work. Like, I think we search external to ourselves because we think somebody else is going to give us this magic potion, this elixir, this tonic that all of a sudden is going to make our life make sense. Yep. That's not (laughs) what freaking happens. It's like, you know, people can act as mediums, like as conversations, coaches, as mentors, as guides. But ultimately, if you're not sitting down to do the inner work, you are constantly going to be that seeker. You're constantly going to be in search of something that you don't even know what you're searching for. So that's what happened with me. I was tired of the search. I was tired of not getting the answer. And my questions were so stupid. My questions were, what career should I take? My questions were, why am I not making enough money? My questions were, why are my relationships not flourishing? Like they were such, now when I look back, they were such mundane issues that I actually needed to connect with my soul script. That was the missing link. The missing link wasn't issues and wasn't unanswered questions about my relationship and finance and career and all these things that we talk about. It was really about my soul saying, hey, GV, let's have a board meeting and let's talk. 
you know, because I'm 10 steps ahead of you and I can probably help guide you into going where you need to go. Oh my so, gosh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. I make a joke that for the first 36 years of my life that God was standing like on the sides with his arms crossed, tapping his foot saying, just let me know when you want me to jump in here. Let me know. <laughs> right. Because we, we do that. We seek. And at the same time we want to control and we think we got it until, you know, life, uh, you know, drops us on our butt, so to speak. And then we got to look at the, got, we have to do the work. We don't have a choice because life has just dropped a bomb somehow. I'm curious. Cause you said you were asking stupid questions. I'm so happy you said it like that, but we get caught in those stupid questions. So what are what are more powerful questions for people to live into or to or to be asking? Um, I started to ask myself questions such as what gives me the greatest joy when I do something every day. So, for example, when I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, I will look in the mirror and I'll say, you know, did my day give me joy yesterday? And if I have three days in which something did not give me joy, I won't do it anymore. And Giovanna, I think the questions that we need to ask ourselves are, um, we don't come with this very visible expiry date that's stamped onto our physical body. And yet, mortality is a universal truth. So I think if we lead with, I am going to die. I recognize that that expiry date is stamped onto my physical body. It may be invisible, but it's there. Then how am I going to choose to live my life? Now, when you look at life from that, from that acceptance of mortality, you come alive instead of living. And I think that for me, that coming alive came in my place of joy. It came in the place of what makes my tears flow when I see something because my heart is so expanded that I don't know how to handle my emotions. You know, when somebody sends me a little notice saying, GB, the conversation we had yesterday has completely shifted the way I view my life. That's what I live for. It's not about the money that's attached to that. That is all beautiful because money is the means goal to get me to my end goal, but it's not my end goal. So I actually had the cart, the cart backward. I was asking the question of how do I make more money, which is my end goal, but I wasn't talking about the means to get there. So I would say to, the, to anybody that's listening that's in this place, define that what you're wanting to do in your place of joy is your means to get to the end goal of abundance, of a wealth, whatever it is that you desire. But keep the end goal and the means goal very distinct. Oh my gosh. Amen again. Like, hallelujah, as Oprah would say. Honestly, I think, I think I've said amen so many times in this conversation. If you guys listen back, make it a drinking game. Every time I say amen, take a shot. Because, I mean, spot on. I mean, we just have our priorities ass backwards in, in our society. And I love, 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 love every ounce of what you said there because we often focus on, if not always focused on the survival piece, right? The means, the money, the how am I going to pay the bills? And you're right. Those are real things. It's not like we're living in a bubble saying, well, don't focus on that. Just focus on fairies and butterflies. Of course, those are things that are part of it. And yet if they consume your entire focus and your entire life, 
there's no possible way you can live from a place of joy. I, I was he, uh, listening to you speak and I was thinking about one of my clients in particular, but I mean, it really applies to all of them. But, you know, just having achieved, checked all the boxes, right? They, you know, she checked the box for career and she checked the box for marriage and she checked the box for kids and she checked all the boxes until she got to the bottom of the list. She'd never checked her own box and now she's unfulfilled there's turmoil. She's not knowing what's next. And because, you know, this is how we live. We live from checking off these imaginary stupid boxes and we forget that you're right. There's some imaginary date stamped on my ass somewhere. And and I don't know where that when that's going to come or when, when that's going to be. Yeah. It's like, you know, I always joke, I say it's really easy to be a hermit at the side of a cave somewhere where you don't have dysfunctional families and you're not working full time and you don't have, you know, a, a boss that you're trying to deal with or a colleague you're in con. It's really easy to sit at the side of a cave where you don't have um, all of these Life. things going on. But the reality is, how can you live the monk life, the hermit life, but within the reality of what we live. That's the beauty. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of that quote. I think it was Ram Dass that says, if you want to know how enlightened you really are, go spend a week with your family. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I laughed at that because I, I actually went and spent two weeks with my family. And the first week was a breeze. It was the second week that almost killed me. So I, I, I was going to write a letter to whomever controls the quote department to say, we need to amend that quote. It should be two weeks. <laughs> but it's true. Like it's, it is about, you know, real life and, and being in it, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things uh, a few weeks back, I, I recorded a podcast about health and, and what health means. And it is, it's about this flexibility of being in it and out of it and in it and out of it. And when I mean it, I mean life. And not getting stuck in a place or, or jammed up because that does manifest. Um, and I think that in essence, that's what your program and what your philosophy with corporate and the corporate soul is really speaking to is, is just health and, and things being um, holistically regarded instead of compartmentalized. Yes, indeed. And I'll add to that. It's about building wealth with a different intention. Oh, beautiful. I love that. Mm. I love that. It's not just like as much as the profit margin of a business is also a part of the legacy. If you're not profiting, you're not able to grow your teams. You're not able to hire different team members. You're not able to build programs. Um, So it's a different way of building wealth. I, I love it. And like, literally, if I had a microphone, I would do microphone drop right now. Bang. <laughs> Shebang. That's like it. Oh my gosh, I absolutely like we're literally at time. This conversation flew. So, so, so great having you GV, not just on this show, but in my life. You're a joy uh, to be around and to speak to and and the wisdom that flows from you is just, it's such a joy. So I, I really want to thank you for being on the show and, and for being in my life. And this is one of the joy moments that I talk about. Like right now, if you could see my face, like Aww. my heart feel like it feels like this light is just shining through my chest and I'm getting kind of teary because obviously our soul contracts have brought us together and you have been such a blessing in my life and 
I, I don't even have words. Like the English language falls short sometimes for the gratitude that I feel towards people. And it's because of your forum that I'm able to get what's in my heart out to more people. And so thank you so much oh, for so allowing this platform. It's, you're so welcome. It was such an honor. Thank you again for being on the show. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in again. And tune in next week. We're going to have another amazing guest on the show. And hey, listen, sharing is caring. If you loved this episode or any other one that you listened to, share it with your friends. Visit SheRisesPodcast.com where you can find more resources and uh, past episodes to listen to and share. And join us again next week. I'd love to have you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising everyone for books and resources related to today's episode make sure you head over to sherisespodcast.com and i'll see you there if you've enjoyed today's episode make sure you tune back in next week when i dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be and hey if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it head on over to itunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show 